Welcome to my COVID diary. My name is Andrea Hardacre and this is my COVID diary. Like everybody else worldwide, I'm trying to get to grips with a whole new lifestyle during the corona pandemic. I decided to chart my journey here. April 15th, 2020. I can honestly say I've never woken up to so many blue skies in Yorkshire as I have this spring. It's a lovely thing to lose yourself in and somehow reassures me that everything will be okay. I find myself staring at it a lot, especially after watching the news. I still have that same tug. I know if I watch the news, I'll feel depressed. But at the same time, I have a need to know what's going on. This week, I managed to pick up some work for the organisation I write for. With hopefully a little more to come, and that certainly boosted my spirits. It's nice to be busy. I also heard from a festival I've been working with. We had hoped to have the festival in June and it was to be a showcase of both local artists and national talent in all sorts of ways to keep music in people's minds and to reach them, probably via the internet if necessary. I was gutted when I realised the festival wouldn't go ahead as planned in June. The organiser had worked very hard to pull it off And I knew it meant a lot to him. I think it meant a lot to everyone in the community. The town in which it was due to be held, Otley, is a very musical place. We meet there regularly at an open mic. And my two band members are based there. I often wonder about how many musicians there are in the town. Is every town like that? Perhaps it is. But musicians are in hiding, with not so many opportunities to play. So needless to say, I and many others were looking forward to the festival. It would have involved a lot of people who've become friends through music. I love the atmosphere at a musical festival. When I was young, I often went to outdoor events, my favourite being Fela in Ireland many moons ago, where I first saw The Prodigy. There's something about the atmosphere of festivals which is so magical. It's like excitement, almost like you're stepping into a new world and it starts the minute you leave the house and head towards the grounds. I'm pretty certain football fans or rugby fans both share that feeling at times of a big match. In later years I attended more literary festivals and music, feeling a bit too long in the tooth to camp out and dive into a mosh pit. The atmosphere is still there, although perhaps not as intense. Beth too is feeling the pain. Not only was she due to perform at least two festivals, she's also had to come to terms with the fact that Leeds Fest, a sort of rite of passage for GCSE students, won't be going ahead as planned. She'd been looking forward to it since January when we got her ticket. It's the event that, after months of studying, teenagers get that first taste of freedom. They're 16, they camp, they undoubtedly drink and have fun. These events create a sense of belonging and you can't help feeling both inspired and something part of something momentous. Festivals give us a sense of attending a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Whenever the first act appears on stage, it begins. When I think of festivals, I think of summer, 
sometimes admittedly in pissing rain, and yes, lots of alcohol involved usually. But they're definitely the type of events that transport you somewhere new. You meet new friends who share similar interests, and there's a genuine communal buzz. People like each other for no other reason than just because they're all there, together. I know it's essential to stay inside right now, and I know these events will gradually come back, but it got me thinking about the comments I made at the end of my last episode, that human need to be sociable. Have we always been like this? Where does it come from? I did a little research. Some believe humans gathering in groups was a gradual process, evolving from couples to clans to larger communities. But an article in Wired.com points to research by Suzanne Schultz of Oxford University, who states that primate societies expanded in a burst, most likely because of safety in numbers. The report states that nocturnal ancestors of primates began to hunt during the day, when they could easily be seen by predators. That's when, Schultz argues, the idea that there could be safeties in numbers emerged. Over 16 million years ago. That's a lot of years to get my head around. I also read a report by some Italian researchers about twins in the womb who reached out and touched each other regularly, suggesting that this need for comfort and to reach out to others is human nature and is also prevalent from birth. Perhaps this is why Corona has us all a bit upside down right now. It's turned ordinary people, friends and relatives into a potential threat. One wrong handshake could leave you fighting for your life. It's a horrible thought. I was horrified to watch the footage of police kicking down the door of a man they believed to be having a party this week. The man was on his own, watching television. He didn't want to let the police into his property for fear of catching the virus. Even when they searched his house and clearly saw there was no need to be there in the first place, they were unable to apologise. I'll come back to that in a moment, but for now, I've got some serious concerns over the overzealous policing going on. Northamptonshire Police Chief Nick Adderley addressed a press conference last week and said that police could resort to roadblocks to prevent unnecessary journeys and if peoples did not heed the warning, could also start searching shopping trolleys to make sure that supermarket customers were not buying unnecessary items. He later went on Twitter to to refute that. But similarly, Cambridge Police tweeted that they were pleased to find no shoppers in the non-essential aisles of Tesco. So, how do you define non-essential? I'm picturing the aisles of my local store. Fruit and vegetable. Essential, right? Cereal? Is that optional or essential? Bread and milk? Surely essential. Toilet paper? Essential. Kitchen roll? Tin foil? Cheese? Biscuits? Birthday card for my nephew stuck indoors for what should be a special day. Printer paper? Wine? Where in the law does it state that what we are and are not allowed to shop for during corona lockdown? I missed that legislation. Similarly, a woman in South Yorkshire was told she couldn't sit in her front garden. Now, the woman in South Yorkshire and the man whose door was kicked in have something in common. 
Neither of them live in mansions. They're just ordinary people. Easy targets. Probably neither have the means to sue. The man whose door was kicked in unnecessarily was clearly uncomfortable with people being in his house. There were at least four officers who barged in. His house, he has been told repeatedly, is a safe place. Is it still safe? Where else have those officers been? What happens if, since they entered his property, he gets a virus? He was clearly abiding by the rules, watching television alone. No wonder he was so angry. He wasn't the one who broke the rules. Four officers clumped together closely, on the other hand, breaking into someone's house. And yet those officers left. No apology, no contrition, just full of righteousness and authority. I'm not saying all police are like that. As I've said before, I have friends in the force and I've no doubt they will rely on their good common sense and good judgement. But it worries me that these incidents keep creeping up. Remember, police have these powers for two years from now. How easy will it be to roll them back once it's all over? The other side of this is the complete inability of anyone in this country to admit they made a mistake. It makes me think back to Ben Elton's 90s novel Popcorn, where everybody sues everyone else because no one is capable of taking responsibility. If I ever sue someone, it'll be because they refuse to apologise, not because they made a mistake. I can forgive mistakes, but refusing to admit them creates an enormous distance between people. It just fuels anger. A couple of days ago, French President Macron apologised to his people, saying that his government wasn't prepared enough for corona. Why are we so loath to do this? I can't help thinking it's because of the vehemence that people show towards those who do make mistakes. But what does that vehemence actually achieve at the end of the day? We're all human, aren't we? And therefore fallible? I've been reading Animal Farm by George Orwell. It's a fascinating read. For those of you who don't know it, it was written as a savage attack on Russian dictator Stalin. I don't know why it's taken me so long to read. I've never been one to read biographies, but find myself increasingly interested in Orwell as a writer. I wonder what would happen if he was around today to hold a mirror up to the society that we live in. Or did he already do that in 1984? And as the days in lockdown carry on, always at the back of my mind is the other threat corona poses. How is our economy going to survive this? I don't think anyone has the energy to really think about it just now. We're so horrified with the horrors suffered by our NHS and the rising death count. But that threat is looming and it's going to get ugly. So I'm probably best to take a break from thinking and look back up at the sky. It's still blue. still makes me happy. <laughs>